Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, friend, and welcome back to the podcast. I have a very exciting episode for you today, all about state-by-state independent contractor laws. And I know that sounds so fun, and you're on the edge of your seat. Can't wait to get started. But before we dive in, I want to give a quick plug for a couple of things I have going on this week in particular. So first things first, on Monday, I announced the launch of a new offer I have essentially done a little bit of restructuring inside of my signature program, Profit RX. I created a new entry point in which you can join the program. I'm still coming up with like a great name for it. So it's like easier to explain, but I'm calling it like the uh, content only membership. So it's $30 a month and comes with basically everything I've ever created. Um, so the difference is inside of my uh, existing Profit RX membership, we do co-working calls and I do some of the pieces for you. It's a combination of like done with you and done for you services. And that uh, the price point for that's been raised to $100 a month. Um, but now you can join the program at $30 a month to get access to all 10 modules of content, along with all of our templates, resources, trainings, you name it. And if you end up wanting help from me, uh, you can always upgrade once you join, or you can actually hire me to do some one-on-one work or hire some of my referral partners. So that is really exciting. I am going to be doing a price increase uh, next week. So come and join, become a founding member of this new tier and the program. It's going to be super exciting. I also am participating in Renee Dallow's Profitable Pro Bundle this week. So that is really exciting as well. Um, Check the details in my show notes for information on both. Um, If you join, I don't want to overcomplicate it, but if you join the Profitable Pro Bundle, you'll have an opportunity on the back end to like enter my membership with a free month. So what I would recommend for you is if you are a wedding professional, because the Profitable Pro Bundle is for wedding people. If you're a wedding professional, uh, join the Profitable Pro Bundle because you're going to get tons of amazing courses and resources and trainings for a hundred bucks. I think it's $97. And then you'll get your free month in Side Profit RX and you can keep rolling. Or if you're like, you know what, Brayden, all I want is your thing, or you're not a wedding pro, go and join the membership. All right. Okay, so I mentioned we're going to be talking about hiring today. This is actually a chunk of Module 7 of Profit RX. So Profit RX is a 10-module program. This is a part of Module 7, and I've also separated this module out into a mini course called Happy Hiring. And I've done this with a lot of the other modules as well. So module two is all about business formation. We have that separated out into two different courses, one on how to do a sole prop. That one's called Legally Launched. One on how to form your LLC. That's called Sole Prop to LLC or S Corp and parentheticals. We have the contract vault, which is basically module three. Uh, cash flow is module four. And I've put that inside of a mini course all about profit. 
We have our totally tax mini course. You get the picture. So the way we are running ProfitRx now is when you join the program, you can kind of choose your ideal profit plan. I recommend that most people go through the full program A to Z. But if you have a critical need to like onboard someone, hire someone next week, then now you can start with that mini course before you go into the full program. All right. So with that context out of the way, let's get in to today's episode. All right. So in lesson one of module seven, I talk about the areas of concern when it comes to hiring. And I share full disclosure, friend, this module and this podcast episode is not an A to Z guide on hiring. That would be a law school size textbook. Instead, I'd call this an A to maybe D guide. We will get through quite a bit, but with a specific focus. Uh, in this first chunk, I'm going to talk about, we're just going to kind of highlight the areas of concern. Then we're going to dig a little bit into AB5. And by dig, I mean broad overview. Okay. And then I'm going to share some information about how to look into your contractor laws in a state by state basis. And what we're primarily concerned with here is worker classification. That's what today's episode is all about. And when I use the term worker, I'm using that very intentionally because our question here is, can someone be a contractor, an independent contractor, which means that they take care of their own taxes, like you're not their employer, all this stuff, or must they be an employee? Okay. So when I talk about worker, I'm talking about someone who has an undefined role because we're trying to define what their role would need to be. So then I'm not going to refer to them as a contractor or an employee. People also get themselves into trouble all the time uh, by using terms like I've heard the term 1099 employee. That's a contradiction because contractors get 1099s, employees get W-2s. Um, people will refer to people as employees generally, but they really mean contractors. And that is a problem because if you're referring to someone as an employee, they're going to think that they're an employee, even though you're paying them as a contractor. And then if they stop working with you, they might go file for unemployment. And now before you know it, you're up for an audit with the state because they say, your person's filing for unemployment, but they were never on payroll, like what's happening, okay? So lots of things that we need to consider here. The broad categories when it comes to worker classification, our areas of concern are unemployment insurance, workers' comp insurance, wage and hour laws, and civil rights stuff. So unemployment insurance, we probably all kind of know what that is. Employers pay into unemployment insurance. So when you have an employer, they are going to send a little bit of money to the state uh, on your behalf. And that goes into the unemployment insurance pot of money. I'm using very, very vague terms here because this is not really one of my core areas of expertise. I'm just teaching you what I have taught myself in order for us to all get a little bit of a head start. So the state kind of manages all of that money. And then if you ever get let go, fired, whatever, you're going to file for, you're maybe going to file for unemployment, right? And that's what this covers. So some states, all states have varying kind of rules on when someone is an employee for unemployment insurance purposes, meaning whether you are legally required to be paying unemployment insurance for them. The second category is workers' compensation insurance. Now, 
I initially thought that this was handled through states as well, but apparently this is actually a type of private insurance, you know, like health insurance would be in most cases, or like your liability insurance. Liability insurance would be a better analogy. So workers' comp insurance, of course, is what steps in if anyone gets injured on the job. So if you had a particularly dangerous workplace, like my dad owns a construction business, he has uh, independent contractors actually that work for him. If I were in his position, I would definitely want workers' comp insurance in case one of my contractors like fell off the roof of a house. They do a lot of roofing in this construction business. So that's what workers' comp insurance is for. Wage and hour laws broadly speaks to minimum wage, uh, minimum wage laws, state by state, overtime rules, um, meal breaks, all that kind of stuff. Like when you go into a work break room and you see those labor law posters that outlines like what the um, what the wage rules are, basically, when you need to be getting paid, when you need to get paid time and a half, all that stuff that all falls under wage and hour laws and then civil rights stuff. Um, this has to do with like discriminatory hiring and similar similar types of issues. So the reason why I bring up these broad categories is because we have this tricky issue where some states, many states, in fact, apply different rules to determine whether someone's a contractor or an employee under these various different areas. So I'm going to give you an example. In our next section, we're talking about AB5. And AB5 stems from, AB5 is a California law but I'm using this also for context. So even you non-California will find this useful. Back in, I believe it was in 2018, the Supreme Court of California heard a case called, um, I've always called it Dynamex, but I think it's actually called Dynamics. Doesn't matter. But it was a case where all these truckers had sued their company saying that they were formerly employees. The company reclassified them to contractors. They sued saying that they should be an employee, employees and get you know, whatever benefits. And in the holding of this case, the court adopted a new test called the ABC test that uh, determined when someone would be a contractor or an employee for wage and hour laws. Because I think in this case, they were specifically suing for like overtime pay, I'm pretty sure. And that I'm going to talk more about the ABC test in a second, but after this uh, case concluded, we now had this uh, rule in California where someone was an employee for purposes of wage and hour laws under one test, but for these other areas of law, the ones I mentioned a moment ago, they could still be a contractor, assuming that they met an easier test. So you can see kind of how complicated how complicated that was. And then the legislature in California about a year later uh, passed this law called AB5, which essentially codified the ABC test, but then expanded it to all areas of the employment code, all areas of employment law within the state. And now there's this issue of there is like a politician in California. She's recently stepped down and gotten a new job. She's the one who co-wrote the law. And I've seen on Twitter, all sorts of places, she always says, you know, we're not the ones who created this rule. We just made it more clear by creating law around it. And that's not entirely true because her law that she authored expanded the test to all areas of the employment code. And on one hand, it does make it simpler. And then we're not doing this mental gymnastics 
of which rule applies to which area of the law like that is complicated but it also has been like pretty catastrophic to a lot of people because now there are certain industries where you just like, can't have contractors whatsoever. And it's creating a lot of larger companies to not hire people in California. Um, but that's kind of a topic for another, it's kind of a topic for another day. If you're curious about AB5, especially if you're in California, I recorded a whole podcast episode about this, I believe last summer. We'll link it in the show notes so you can go straight to the episode. And in that, I actually go through pretty much everything that's in our profit rx program textbook and because that all stems from a blog post i wrote a while ago so you can get all of that information i might actually encourage you if you are really interested in that i might actually encourage you to pause today's podcast episode at this point because that information would kind of be like plugged into this section of my uh of my notes in the order in which I'm talking about this. And then you can circle back and listen to this next part, which is on state by state laws. So now I'm going to talk about state by state laws. Okay. So I have found, I did a lot of research specifically. I found, you know, I Googled like, what are the contractor laws in the state of Washington? What are they in Maryland, Arizona? And I found a few resources that had done a pretty good job at like compiling all of the tests using all the states. They weren't totally accurate and up to date, which is why I'm not sharing like a direct link to those. Instead, I just use this to help guide my research. And then I kind of uh, piece together a little bit of a framework on how we can look at different tests from across all the various states. And I found that most of them fall into one of a few categories. And again, I want to reiterate the importance of this because without really knowing the, like why we care, you might get like, you might want to tune me out really quickly, but contractor classification, worker classification is a very important issue. Because if someone ever sues you, or if you get audited by the state, because you've misclassified a worker, the penalties are severe, um, to put it very simply. And also, you have a huge amount of risk if you ever work with someone that should have been an employee, and they want to pursue legal action against you. So this is not something that we take lightly. Okay, so we have to figure out what the rules are for the IRS and what they are at the state level, because when we look at the IRS, I could have made this another category in the first section of the podcast. Our other category is um, our taxes, right? So our income taxes, our self-employment taxes, or those FICA taxes. If you're an employer, you're responsible for paying part of those on your employee's behalf and sending them to the IRS. The IRS and our state's like employees for the reason that you are responsible for paying part of those taxes. And you're also responsible for withholding the rest of the taxes and sending them to the IRS and to the state, which means that the IRS is much more likely to get the tax money from an employee than they are from a contractor. Because as you can imagine, a lot of contractors that's all of us business owners. There are a lot that just don't do their taxes right. They don't report their income. So you can see why the IRS and the states would be incentivized to encourage employer-employee relationships. So the IRS has their own test. And generally, we call this a common law test. They use uh, a three-category totality of the circumstances test, which is a lot like the Borello factors that I mentioned uh, in all my AB5 stuff. 
And here's the categories that they use. Um, so category one is behavioral, and I'm quoting these kind of chunks right here straight from the IRS website. So one, behavioral. Does the company control or have the right to control what the worker does and how the worker does his or her job? Two, financial. Are the business aspects of the worker's job controlled by the payer? These include things like how the worker is paid, whether expenses are reimbursed, who provides tools, supplies, etc. And three, type of relationship. Are the written contracts or employee type benefits, i.e. pension plan, insurance, vacation pay, etc. Will the relationship continue and is the work performed a key aspect of the business? That part's really important. Businesses must weigh all these factors when determining whether a worker is an employee or an independent contractor. Some factors may indicate that the worker is an employee, while other factors indicate that the worker is an independent contractor. There is no magic or set number of factors that makes the worker an employee or independent contractor, and no one factor stands alone in making this determination. Also, factors which are relevant in one situation may not be relevant in another. The keys are to look at the entire relationship and consider the extent of the right to direct and control the worker. Finally, document each of these factors used in coming up with the determination. Let's look at some more specifics. So before I give you the specifics, I just want to highlight this is, I, I noted that this is a three category totality of the circumstances test. So when I'm reading that section that says, uh, like no one factor outweighs the other. That's a, how a totality of the circumstances test works. It's how it works, right? So the way I like to kind of explain this is if you are, I'm trying to think of like judging anything that's subjective in nature. Um, I think in my, I think in my blog post, I talk about RuPaul's Drag Race because I'm a huge fan. So let's, let's talk about that, right? Like, let's say you're watching the show and you're tasked with determining who should be the next drag superstar of the US? A very fun task, I might add. It's gonna be fairly subjective, right? Because you're gonna judge them based on their talent, based on how well they can sing, dance, so all these different factors. But at the end of the day, like you have to weigh all of these different things against one another and pick one person. It's not like you can just check boxes and say, you met this requirement, you met this requirement. It's not that objective. That's how a totality of the circumstances test works versus the other tests we're going to talk about in a moment where it's like, yes, you have to check three boxes. Yes, yes, and yes. And then it's a bright line rule either way. So hope that helps a little bit. Okay, um, we now have kind of specifics for those three tests. So under those three tests, we have bullet points on um, what behavioral control looks like, what financial control looks like, and what the relationship looks like. I'm not going to go through each of these in detail because that would take a long time. And also they're inside of the program. So if you're really curious, join, check it out. Or honestly, like you can Google this and find these bullet points on the IRS website. Okay, so there ends up being, you know, this whole slew, let's see, four, there's like nine, I think, 14 different bullet points. And these all come from, it's kind of funny to me, because the IRS, I think, used to have a 21 prong test. And some states still use that one. And they said, no, we want to simplify it. So we're not going to use the 21 point test. We're going to use this three category test. But then under each category, they have all these different bullet points, which basically takes them back to the 21 point test. So I don't really get it. I think it's dumb. But, you know, I 
they, they're trying to simplify it, I suppose. So question is, why do we care about this IRS test? Well, we already talked about tax withholdings for the IRS. That's a big part of it. Um, but we also need to know both the state and the federal rules. And a lot of states have just adopted the IRS rules. So if a state says we use like the three category, like IRS test or the common law test, that this is what they're talking about. Okay. And again, the state is the one that governs the wage and hour stuff, the workers comp stuff, those four categories I mentioned earlier. Okay. So that is how the common law test works. Now, our second test is the ABC test. So I mentioned that briefly before. I mentioned that I cover it in detail in a previous podcast, but I'm going to give you just the test itself right now. So you at least have the basics. The ABC test has three parts, A, B, and C, obviously. Part A says the worker must be free from the control and direction of the hirer. Part B says the worker must perform work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. And C says the worker must customarily be engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed for the hiring entity. So quick translation for you, part A is our control test. And in my mind, like part A is basically our common law. It's like a lot of the common law stuff because a lot of the common law stuff has to do with control and direction. So that's not new. Like that's fine in most cases. B is a really tricky one. This is what causes an issue for a lot of people. The says the worker must perform work that's outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. So like a photographer on the surface can't hire another photographer to be an independent contractor. You get the picture. This is why the ABC test created a huge issue in California and why we now have like dozens and dozens of exceptions, exemptions, and carve-outs that I covered in that other podcast episode. C, uh, this is the engaged in an independently established business. And the real key here is that's of the same nature as the work performed for the hiring entity. So if you're hiring, like if I'm going to hire a plumber to come to my office building and do plumbing work, they should have a plumbing business. If I'm going to hire a brand photographer to do my brand photos, she should have a photography business. So it needs to be the same nature as the work they're performing for you, the hirer. Okay. So that's your broad overview of the ABC test. I also reviewed, um, I already mentioned the carve outs and exceptions, so we can skip that. Some states take pieces and parts of this ABC test. And this is our third category of tests on a state-by-state -state basis. And I call them the modified ABC test states. So the final test is, it's really a catch-all, modified ABC test, a term I made up, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Because some states will use what I'm going to call an A plus B or C test. Okay, you see how this gets confusing. You got to really know what these A, Bs, and Cs are in order for this to make sense. And I'll review it in a second. But an A plus B or C test, other states just simply use an A and C test. A state with an A plus B or C test will require the worker to meet part A, which again is our control and direction part. Then the worker can satisfy the test by meeting part B or part C. And recall that C is typically easier to meet. 
Other states simply state that you must meet A and C. So in short, in those states, the worker must be free from the control and direction of the hiring business, which would be you if you're hiring them. And they must be performing the same nature as the work performed for the hiring entity. So in that case, photographer could hire a photographer, not a problem, as long as that company has a photography business and you're not like micromanaging them, doing all the control stuff, everything like that. All right, so that would be the A and C test. So that's our overview. I hope you're with me so far because now we are gonna get into some tips on how you can look into what the rules are in your particular state. Your goal is to find what test is applicable in your home state along with the test in each state where you have contractors or employees. About 33 states have some version of the ABC test. When I researched this, uh, which was end of 2021, but this is changing on a regular basis. Some of those states have the modified versions that I mentioned. Some apply the ABC test, um, the whole ABC test, but they only apply it to portions of their employment laws. So I mentioned the four categories before, they might only apply it to one category. And this is why our state-by-state -state research is so key. So as always, I recommend starting with a Google search. Uh, in our textbook in ProfitRx, I give a screenshot of what to search for, as, long as, well as, as well as a lot of other screenshots here. But I started with Tennessee, or we're starting with Tennessee, because it, it's interesting. So I Googled Tennessee test for independent contractor. That was the best kind of Google search I found to give the most consistent results state by state. So Tennessee test for independent contractor. So if you wanna do your state, you do Florida test for independent contractor. It's gonna get you the best results. I'm specifically using Tennessee uh, as our example here because I initially found some contradictory information. One source said they use the common law test, so that IRS type test. And one source said they use the ABC test. And this is why I like to look for .gov resources because the .gov websites should have the most up-to-date information, all right? So here's what we find when we click on Tennessee.gov link. The state website clearly shows a change in law effective January 2020. I point this out also because it demonstrates the regular updates in law and the importance to stay on top of the changes. So I have a screenshot of the website here, but I'm just going to kind of read to you what the website says. It says, for services performed before January 1, 2020, the law in effect is the ABC test, and then it shares the test. For services performed on or after January 1, 2020, the law in effect is the 20 factors test. So the 20 factors test is the old IRS test. I don't want you to worry about the nuances between old IRS test, new IRS test, all of those kind of common law IRS type tests are pretty much the same. Okay. So once we find out what the test is in your state, so in Tennessee, common law test under current law, our second step is to determine whether that test is for each area of the labor law within the state or just one. So first poke around, read the headings on the website, the URL, the department name, and see if you're within a specific section of the state's site. So this page in Tennessee tells us what we need to know. And I'm quoting. In 2019, the Tennessee legislature passed HB 
539, which requires the consideration of the 20-factor test in IRS Revenue Ruling 8741 to determine whether an employer-employee relationship exists for purposes of Tennessee's wage and hour laws, the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1972, and Tennessee Employment Security Law. This law became effective on January 1, 2020, uh, and then that's the most important part. So the bolded portion, this was the portion which says uh, wage and hour laws, Occupational Safety and Health Act. Uh, That is what we're really keying in here because wage and hour laws is clear, tells us it applies to those area of laws. The Safety and Health Act uh, likely refers to workers' comp policies, and the employment security law bit likely refers to unemployment insurance. So this tells us that they're most likely using this test for all areas of their employment law, okay? An interesting observation for you. While researching, I noticed an interesting trend. Many left-leaning states have been adopting the ABC test. This did not surprise me. The interesting part was that there were more states, conservative states in particular, southern states, which have begun to move away from the ABC test, meaning they had it in the past, and now they're reverting back to a more pro-worker, or sorry, pro-employer test. So the ABC test makes it a lot harder for you to have contractors. Um, So that test tends to be a lot more popular in liberal states, where the Democrats in power want there to be more employees, fewer contractors, and then the conservative states are kind of the opposite. Politics, you know, shapes policy all over the place. Using the same Google search terms, I did the same search for Wisconsin, typing Wisconsin test for independent contractor. The first result was their .gov website uh, to the Department of Workforce Development, or the DWD. Here's in part what it had to say. So it says workers comp, workers classification, nine requirements test independent contractor. To be considered an independent contractor and not an employee, an individual must meet and maintain all nine of the requirements listed below. To assist the employer in the analysis, the department has provided the following. One, an explanation of each of the requirements contained in the nine-part test. Two, case studies relevant to each of the requirements based upon cases decided by the Labor and Industry Review Commission. So their website I actually found really helpful because they lay out the requirements very clearly. And I'm not gonna go through all nine requirements, we you know, could be here all day doing this for every state in the US. But instead, I'm just going to give you kind of an overview again of what's happening. So they have their own nine-part test. There's a lot of overlap between the nine parts and our other various tests, but it's their own test. I didn't put it in any category because it's unique to Wisconsin. So you're going to want to do your own search to find and view the same um, the same part for all nine requirements. So I, I shared in the book that this may be my favorite test. I know, such a nerdy thing to say for a lawyer to have like a favorite independent contractor test. But the reason is because Wisconsin does a really good job of making the test pretty simple. It's clear. They put it in like checklist format and it's nine requirements, not factors. So you're not doing any weighing. It's not ambiguous. Uh, like the common law test, it's cut and dry. You must meet all nine. You'll also notice there's not, or there is a lot of overlap between these requirements, like I mentioned. But if we dig a little bit deeper, we will see Wisconsin laws. Wisconsin's laws are 
quite, um, they're not quite as clear as they initially appear. Let's look back at the same page. Notice that it says, um, I mentioned that it says up top, workers' compensation for worker classification. This is the test just for workers' comp determination purposes. Different tests apply to different areas of the employment law. So on the sidebar of their website, it says DWD, worker classification, and they have bullet points for unemployment insurance, workers' compensation, labor standards, and civil rights. So if we click on each of those links, it will show us that they have different rules for each of those areas. And that's how we know that they only apply one test to a certain area. So I actually called, I actually called the state of Wisconsin um, when I was doing my research because one part that really tripped me up, and this is, uh, this is going to be like our last little kind of section of the podcast. So don't worry, we won't go on here forever. But I was very curious because I talked to different attorneys, I talked to various friends, accountants on how this actually works in practice. Like practically speaking, if you have someone that's working with you that you want to hire, whatever, and you're looking at all these tests in your state and you're like, okay, I could have them as a contractor for wage and hour laws and for unemployment insurance and all of these things, but they need to be an employee for workers' comp insurance. How does that work? Can you have someone who's like half contractor, half employee? And the answer is yes. In that circumstance, you can, um, according to the person that I talked to, and just according to like logic on how workers' comp is covered or how it works, what you can do is you just have an independent contractor, but you go get private insurance to cover them for workers' comp. Because what would happen is if they got into an injury, the workers' comp would cover them. If you didn't have workers' comp, they would say that under the law, you should have been covering them because they're a quote unquote employee under purposes for purposes of workers' comp insurance. And now you're in trouble with the other ones with like wage and hour laws. Um, actually, so with wage and hour laws, again, I'm pretty sure. And this is where I do recommend talking to an employment attorney in your state if this feels like it's going to be an issue. So I'm giving you all the tools you need to do to do your initial research um, because then once you do your initial research, if it's like a clear, yes, then you're good to go like a clear, yes, you can work with contractors or if it's a clear, no, or it's pretty gray, then I'm going to push you in the direction of an HR professional. And I'm actually interviewing an HR professional on the podcast in two weeks. So stay tuned for that. If you're curious. Okay. I kind of lost my train of thought. So, oh, I was talking about wage and hour law. So my understanding would be that if someone has to be an employee for the purposes of wage and hour laws, you just have to make sure that you're meeting minimum wage requirements and that they're not working overtime and then they get meal breaks and all that kind of stuff. And essentially, if you're meeting all those things, if you're paying someone $50 an hour, they don't have to really worry about minimum wage. And so there's no legal harm done there if they technically are supposed to be an employee. Now, I might be missing something in that scenario, that, but that's my understanding is that technically they would need to be an employee, but if you're not violating uh, any of the issues with payment, then there's essentially no damages done there for having them work as a contractor. Unemployment insurance, I think would be trickier because if someone has to be an employee for unemployment insurance purposes, then I would assume that you would have to put them on payroll in order for the payroll provider to then pay the unemployment insurance to 
the state. And this is why it's a little bit of a mind puzzle for me. Um, when I, again, when I was talking to some of my HR friends, they were kind of interested in why I was even approaching it from this angle, because to them, it was just more like, well, if you're controlling the amount of work someone's doing, or if they do work, that's essential to your business, you should just hire them as an employee. And I would like for my brain <laughs> to be that black and white, but I just don't operate that way. And my goal is always to arm you all like with the actual information and the technical rules, at least, you know, the basis of the rules, at least the rules that I can find that I'm aware of. I'm not going to go out and become like a full-fledged employment attorney to record one podcast episode. Like that's just not happening. Um, and this comes with the territory of having a podcast where I go pretty broad on multiple topics rather than like really deep on a few topics. So I hope it's helpful. I hope you all enjoy that. Now, that's all I really had to cover for today's episode. Again, if you want to learn more about uh, everything I talked about today, if you want to get access to all my contractor onboarding documents, more information on how to onboard employees, along with everything else I teach in ProfitRx, you can go to theprofitrx.com. Um, also, remember that this is the one week only for the bundle. So if you're a wedding pro, check the show notes for all the bundle information. But that uh, concludes today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Shared it with your friends if you love the episode. And I'll be back in your podcast feed next week. Have a good one. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.